This episode is full of spoilers and contains some not-so-super language. citizens welcome to the fortress of potitude i'm dave michaels i'm brian betts and we are the cape podcasters and this is the show that's gonna do things a little bit differently this week for this movie because this week we are talking about 1994's the fantastic four directed by i'm giving it to him ole fucking sassoon we should probably say famous director ole fucking sassoon you know what? I think I agree. <laughs> but I say we're doing things a little bit differently because we're going to open this week's episode up with a question from Facebook to kind of set the mood a little bit here. Ooh, mood setting. Phil Hudson Hawkins asks, and it's addressed to me, which is exciting. This never happens. I love it. He says, Dave Michaels. That's you. Have you ever worked on a movie this bad? How much are the actors, crew, and production staff aware of when they're working on an absolute train wreck of a movie? And I want that to be implanted in everybody's heads as we talk about this famous, famous, famous (laughs) bombshell. This is a clusterfuck all around. Absolutely. From, From the beginning, from the very inception of the movie. When would the inception be? Technically, (laughs) I think about a week before they started shooting. (laughs) That sounds about right. (laughs) The reason it's such a clusterfuck is because it's a 90s Marvel property, which means the rights are all over the place. Absolutely. Because in the 1980s, Burned Eichinger, a movie producer, Constantine Films, he used to talk to Stanley and said, Hey, Stanny boy, give me those Fantastic Four rides. And Stanny said, Excelsior, okay. <laughs> We're bankrupt, so I'm giving the rights away to everybody. And that's what he did because they got these rights for $250,000. It's a good deal if you can get it. And then, of course, Batman 89 comes out and starts shattering box office records. And people are like, we need to make some superhero movies. And this is also during the comic book boom of the early 90s when Action Comics number one sold for a million dollars. Everyone's like, oh man, I got all these coloring books. I can sell these for lots of money. <laughs> Speculation, num, 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 again. So many nums. There's so many nums. And also, there's so many variant covers because this is also the time where Marvel Comics said, uh, so we can only sell this book once? <laughs> Nay, we're going to slap varying <laughs> covers on every single one of these books. So that now they're collector's items and then they take People their own our market. shit all of a sudden. Let's make lots of everything. And everyone made so much money that they ended up just bottoming out the market eventually. Classic. It is classic, but burned Eichinger. He said, you know what? I got until December 31st. 1992 in order to make a Fantastic Four movie. Oh shit, it's November 1992 and I haven't done anything with this. (laughs) Oh no, I'm going to lose these rights. What do I do? So they gave a million dollars to Roger Corman. Roger fucking Corman. Roger fucking Corman. The king of inexpensive movies. (laughs) And said, go make me a Fantastic Four. And he said, you got it, bub. (laughs) And then that's what they did. It's a hell of a move. I like that they also called up uh, good old Uncle Lloyd and said, hey, you guys want to do a Fantastic Four? They tried to get Lloyd fucking Kaufman of Troma to put out this movie, and he said, this doesn't seem like a good idea. (laughs) I feel like that's going to hurt my brand and yours. When you think that you're going to hurt Troma, that's a problem. (laughs) Man, what could have been, though? And on that note, Let's get into it. There's so much to talk about outside of this movie, not so much inside of it. <laughs> That's very true. So we're just going to we're going to blast through this one. That's the only way to do it cuz movies tend to need plot and story and dialogue and character development. Those are things things that may or may not appear in this film. Let's get into it and figure it out. Let's get into it. We start out with the opening credits, which are just three minutes of blue-hued space photography and names you've literally never heard of before. None. Zero names that I've heard of. I saw Roger Corman and went, oh, maybe, and then literally 
no one else. And then everything else was just names. And I was like, cool, people are in this. <laughs> That's a good start. We begin the movie proper in the classroom of Professor Exposition, telling, <laughs> telling the class about the incredibly rare and radioactive Colossus Comet that's moving at the speed of light, but it isn't, as we'll see later. Correct. And we'll be passing close by Earth that very night. And let's talk about this professor for a second, because he's doing all sorts of math on the board, and then he screws up his own math, and smarty pants Reed Richards is like, no, this is the answer. That was literally my next line is Smarty Pants Reed Richards. Because that's his only character in this is Smarty Pants. He is a Smarty Pants. The smartest pants in the world. Played by Alex Hyde White, who you might know from nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. But this professor talks like no other professor has ever talked in the world. Because he's like preaching science at these kids. (laughs) Like if there's a Shakespearean science professor out there, it is this man here. He's waxing poetic about science. So Reed and his pal Victor, who's played, of course, by Joseph Culp, who is acting. He is acting. And in the documentary that came out in 2014 called Doomed, that is the story of the making of this film. Joseph Culp wants you to know that he's an actor. Not an actor, (laughs) an actor. An actor. He is a thespian. And people who call themselves thespians are douchebags. (laughs) generally not thespians he is very much wanting you to think that he thought of this character and that he is going for it he kind of reminds me of the actor guy from the liberty mutual commercial (laughs) which one the one who is an actor in the in the commercial and he's like liberty bibbity he's like uh line it might as well be this guy because he's uh british but not at all sometimes no no some it comes and goes and waves. It definitely does. He went to the Princess Leia School of Acting. <laughs> so Reed and Victor are passing notes during this class about some kind of extracurricular project they're working on. And Reed wants to run a simulation because the numbers don't seem right. And Victor's like, sure, if there's time, there won't be time. There won't be time. And also, I wish I knew it was written on any of these papers. But as we probably should have mentioned by now, this is an unreleased film. <laughs> yes. And we will get there. It's never came out. But the only way we were able to watch it is on YouTube because bootlegs exist. But you can't make out shit on any of these papers. There's no pausing and reading the fun extra things written on screen. No, it is a pixelated mess. <laughs> I think it topped out at 480p. I think so. <laughs> so these grown-ass dudes hang out with a couple kids, Susan and Johnny Storm, for reasons. I don't understand it. They live at Mrs. Storm's, like, house of people i don't even know what it is i don't know she's, she's got a house for people and there are susan and johnny and who are children are they are children. children legitimately children yes one of them is a child who gets very upset about video games and the other one is a child who is in love with reed richards and that's gonna get real weird later yes it will because reed's gonna come home and he's gonna be like you child mwah, kiss you on the cheek because that's what we do with kids because it's that's not weird a, right now 100 percent. what's allowed with children that are not related to you but anyone who knows the comic books are going that's gonna get yucky <laughs> oh things are gonna get weird <laughs> and then he goes and says mrs storm i need to go science elsewhere i don't know why i'm here <laughs> i just stopped by to introduce these young characters to make things weird later <laughs> It's effective, if that's the case. (laughs) Yeah. Reed and Victor start up their machine, and and things don't go so great. Victor refuses to shut it down or abandon the experiment and gets all kinds of electrocuted. Luckily, Reed's pal Ben Grimm, played, of course, by Michael Bailey Smith. Of course. The the one and only. (laughs) Right. He sees the lab from far away and knows that shit's going to go wrong, so he runs there in slow motion and tackles Victor, but... The doctor's going to be like, no, it was too late. He's he's done. And then <laughs> the shifty doctors are going to continue working on Victor, who is not dead. And wow, questions. You're skipping over one of my favorite things that's ever happened in cinema history, I'd oh, say. please, elaborate. I must know. Where they're in this hospital, and the doctor man comes up as they're wheeling out Victor, who's covered in his sheets. And the doctor goes to read, and he's just like, I'm sorry. The burns were too severe, to which the smartest pants in the world, Reed Richards, (laughs) says, what are you going to do with them? And the doctor says, I'm going to bring them downstairs to the morgue. 
in hospitals. Like, what else do you think you're going to do with this guy? Oh, we're, we're going to put him in the trash. I don't know. What do you want <laughs> us to do with him? What, did you want to take him home or something? I don't... What was going to be the follow-up to him going in the morgue? It's like, is someone going to claim him after this? Or is he going to... No, he's, he's a morgue person now. I don't know. <laughs> we're going to bring him downstairs, and then, you know, after a couple weeks, if he doesn't get claimed, you can come and pick him up. <laughs> right. It's like a lost and found. <laughs> of people, I guess. That's how morgues work, right? I don't know. I didn't know that you could just go up to somebody's best friend and, and give them the news instead of, like, you know, next of kin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. They pass notes in class, so that qualifies, right? Yeah, as <laughs> power of attorney. So all of that happened, and then we jump to ten years later, and we know that because now Reed's got his famous white and gray yeah. whatever on the side of his head yep. of the hair. It's been ten years because Reed has gray hair, and also he <laughs> built a spaceship. That's very, very true. <laughs> and that's just, that's just, it's like, hey, 10 years later, Reed's got gray hair. We got a spaceship. Ben is like, hey, I promise you I'd, I'd pilot that ship. So I'm going to do that. What a guy. And then he's like, but we're going to need a crew. So what do they do? They recruit Susan and Johnny Storm, played, of course, by Rebecca Stab and Jay Underwood. Once again, of course. Who else would you, could you get, really? And my favorite part about this is their reasoning for getting them. And it's because they would be so upset if we went to space without them. They'd be real mad if we went to space without them. It's not that they have any science background at all, to which nope. Ben Grimm calls out. He goes, they don't know dick about science. But <laughs> the smartest parents in the world is just like, but they're going to be so upset if we don't take them to space. Do you know how butthurt they're going to be if the two of us go up to space and then come back without any souvenirs? <laughs> it's the silliest thing. Because... <laughs> Also, they're not children anymore because, again, 10-year jump. Correct. But there's still that age difference. It's there, but I don't know how old they are at all. And I don't think the movie knows nor cares. I think there's very little thought in, put into the ages of anybody in this movie. I think that's very fair. But Reed's got to go get these kids now to go to space with him. Yes. So he goes to Mrs. Storm's house again. And he goes, hey, Johnny, you want to go to space, brah? And the kids is like, that sounds gnarly and radical and other 90s phrases. <laughs> yeah, let me just pack some hammer pants and uh, we'll get on our way. <laughs> and I love how Susan comes down the stairs and you might as well hear harps playing. Oh, yeah. Oh, first of all, I'm pretty sure John Favreau composed this entire score. Without a doubt, he did. But we're going to get there when we talk about music later and it yes. might surprise you. <laughs> it might. But I love this because. He asks Susan, he's like, Susan, you're looking good, kid. Want to go to space? She's like, I'll go anywhere you go. <laughs> and then we get to uh, the only scene in the film that John Favreau actually directed himself. <laughs> it's when Susan and Johnny's mother dubs the foursome the hot tub time machine. The Fantastic Four. Oh, uh, look at you guys. You're the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Can we please go to space? Please? Free please? We will go to space, but first, there's a mole-like man that lives in the sewers. Oh, God, I've forgotten this entire story. And he has a whole <laughs> bunch of mole people that he hangs out with, so naturally, he's called the Jeweler. Don't get thrown off. He is not the famous Fantastic Four villain Mole Man. He's the Jeweler. No, he's the Jeweler, played naturally by Ian Trigger, because who else are you going to get? I, who else can you get? I feel like it was written specifically for him, so... <laughs> He pops up out of the sewers, and he's plotting to steal just a, a giant diamond. The plot diamond. The, yes, the, the major MacGuffin of the movie. It is, until it's not, but then it, it stays. Uh, it's weird. But then it is again, but then it's yeah, not again. Yes. Yeah. We'll get there shortly. On the way to retrieve the very same diamond for space experiment reasons, Ben bumps into a blind sculptor, <laughs> Alicia Masters, who's played by Cat Green, and he totally destroys her statue, which means... They're going to fall in love. They are going to fall in love. And I actually like her reaction to him bumping into her. And she drops. She's like, my hard work, all that wasted time. And then she feels his rock hard pecs. And she goes, not important. Lady boner. <laughs> oh, no. I've destroyed all. You've destroyed my hard work. Now I have to feel your face. And then she does. And now she's in love. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how this shit works. I can feel my face when I'm with you. Because <laughs> I'm blind. 
Uh, I love this. He just bumps into her. And she's like, ah, oh, you jerk. And he's like, watch where you're going. And he's like, oh, you can't. And then she touches his <laughs> face. And they're like, I'm in love. It does its best job of skirting blind jokes, but also totally disrespecting blind people. Which oh, 100%. is probably the right line to walk in a million dollar movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The budget is one million dollars. The jeweler also sees Alicia, and he falls in love instantly, too, because that's just what people do. Everybody loves blind sculptors. So Alicia goes back to her place and starts sculpting Ben's face from memory, <laughs> while the jeweler creepily watches her. He, like, looks through the window, and he's just like, oh, you're going to be my queen. Oh, wait, my eye watch is going off. Time to <laughs> go. She's literally sculpting another man's face and, like, <laughs> fawning over the, the rock version of it, which... It's going to come back, I promise. It will. It's weird until it's not. So the jeweler heads back to the place with the diamond that he just left to watch her. Anyway, he goes back and hops all over the lasers that are just super spread out and very visible, so he has no problem doing it. Well, it's crazy because Reed Richards got this box full of diamond just in a hallway of the Baxter building. He puts them in the middle and he goes, why don't we need to do? We need to take a nice rest because we're going to space tomorrow. That's and then right. he turns on the lasers and it's just hopscotch of lasers. It's not hard to do. No, it's, it's a very easy grid pattern to maneuver. So the jeweler successfully swaps out the diamond with a giant fake intending to woo Alicia with the real one. And all the while, <laughs> you know who's watching the jeweler do this? A mysterious metal masked man who we don't know the name of. Who we don't know his purpose. In this movie thus far, and he goes, oh, good. Now I don't have to do that because they're yep. doing it for me. We're like, doing what, movie? Doing what? This guy just shows up. He's like, he's watching like CCTV footage of the Baxter building going, oh, good. Let this guy take the diamond so I don't have to do it. And now Reed will certainly die. So the foursome head into outer space to do whatever it is they're doing. And they're in the newspaper. It says, Reed Richards' space flight is gonna happen, and then it does. It does the whole spinny newspaper thing transition and everything. It's classic filmmaking. <laughs> classic. <laughs> so they're up in space doing their little experiment, and they realize much too late that the diamond is a fake. And then there's a big kaboom, and the metal man laughs maniacally on his throne. He does not ever stop laughing maniacally. Just keeps on laughing. Joseph Culp is having a ball. He's having more fun than anybody else. But he's not also because he's taking it very seriously, as we learned in the documentary Dudes. They all are. And we should say here how we open the show with the question from Phil Hudson Hawkins of, are you aware of when you're making a bad movie? And the answer is, you're extremely aware and everyone on set knows it. <laughs> I promise you. I've worked on some absolute stinkers and you know and all that you hope at the end of the day is that the check cashes. <laughs> that's, that's fair. With this movie, before we do all the power fuckery that's about to happen, sort of, <laughs> every single person working on this movie thought it was a legit movie. Every single one of them. They all took it extremely seriously for the production being as quickly thrown together as possible. They all read the comic books. They wanted to get the characters right. They wanted to get the details right or as right as they could for a, a million bucks to make a movie but they all took it very seriously they all said this thing's gonna get released we got deals to get this thing for a wide release it's gonna make some money it's got roger corman's name on it why wouldn't it right. make some money it's the fantastic four people have heard of them comic books are huge again right now and it's being promoted in certain magazines and within marvel it's being promoted yeah this is going to be a real film they took there's it no reason seriously. to believe that this isn't going to get released and make them very successful in their careers. But as we said before, this never got released and it is still up for debate if it was ever intended to be released. Stan Lee said it was never supposed to see the light of day, but Stan Lee tooted his own horn and tooted everyone else's horn a lot. He was a, certainly a horn tutor. He certainly was. Excelsior! Brian, do you think this movie was ever supposed to see the light of day? No, I don't think it was. I'm uncertain. Still. It's interesting. And there's a lot of reasons behind why I'm uncertain, and we will get there. But I am still in that weird, I don't know area. So the spaceship crashes. There's a big kaboom. 
and Ben Grimm appears to be totally fine just walking around the wreckage searching for the other survivors. Which is crazy because he's just walking through a field yelling people's names. Just just walking around going, Reed, Susan, Johnny. Like he's just expecting to find him. And yeah, it is ridiculous that this spacecraft fell out of outer space and he's just walking around totally fine. Totally fine. And he finds Reed and he gets him up and Reed's just like, you want to know it's fucked up? We're <laughs> fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I appreciated that. <laughs> Something does, that doesn't feel wrong to you that we're just walking around and the spaceship is in a pile in a hundred pieces. The smartest line in this movie. Well, he is smarty pants. That's true. Yeah, so. <laughs> the smartest pants in the world. Galaxy? Universe? I don't know at this point. He has very smart pants. They're the smartest pants. And then soon enough, Johnny shows up and nobody's, nobody's got a scratch on him. And then Johnny sneezes and he starts a fire. It's a problem, too, because... He, like, leans into this sneeze like he just sniffed a lot of pepper <laughs> oh my. like a minute it's, ago. Ah, uh, there's not a scratch on me, but there is some dirt in my nose. <laughs> Chew! Written by Seth MacFarlane for how long it takes him to wind this thing up. <laughs> and then the fire starts. He's like, did I do that? <laughs> just really bringing home the 90s-ness of it all. And then my favorite part is Sue Storm comes up. She's like, guys. Uh, cool, we're all fine. Everyone's like, where is she? Where are you? And she's like, I'm right here. And they're like, you're not. I don't see you. And Because she's invisible. Hey, how about that? And then she's like half not invisible. And she's like, you guys look like you've seen a ghost. And they're like, look at your legs. And she didn't know before that, that she was <laughs> invisible. But now she knows. And she, she freaks out. She starts to faint. But Reed stretches his arm out real far and catches her. They, they've got, they got superpowers. And let's talk about the special effects here. Oh, shall we? It's generally a problem when the special effects are done by a company called Mr. Film. (laughs) Uh, Famous special effects company, Mr. Film. (laughs) Um, His arm stretches and it's really just more fabric with a rubber hand on the end. Yep, it absolutely is. And I don't understand how there's more fabric involved in this suit that he's wearing that is not special at all. No, it's just a, a regular old, well, I won't even call it a regular old space suit because this is like some sort of silver 70s space fantasy space suit <laughs> that they just picked up for like a couple bucks, I think. Well, the whole set and costumes are recycled from Roger Corman's previous film that he did a year before called Carnosaur. So they Carnosaur. just borrowed all that. And they shot most of this movie in a condemned barn for the most part, like a warehouse that literally had condemned signs on it. Nothing like showing up to set and finding out it's condemned and then just going, no, we're shooting anyway. Let's go. Don't worry. It's not a union film. We're good. Just just don't step over there in that hole. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the rubber hand, though. That's crazy to me. Even as low res as it is, looks Awful. It looks like Cockknocker's hand from Jay and Silent Bob Strike. Yeah. <laughs> like it's that large of a hand. But Mark <laughs> Hamill's unfortunately not on the other end of it. No, that is unfortunate. They couldn't afford him. <laughs> Somehow. He would have done anything at this time. So the team send up a flare to, in hopes of being rescued and decide to, you know, nap because. That's Reed's answer to everything. They just crashed, so we need to rest. Johnny Storm makes a fire. And he goes, what are we going to do now? And Reed's like, we're going to rest because we'll be able to think better in the morning. Smarty Pants also has <laughs> to, you know, sometimes swap out for pajama pants. Maybe that's why he's so smart because he gets his eight hours and he makes sure of it, damn it. Oh, he's like, no, we're not going to try to get rescued. We're going to sleep and get rescued in the morning. So then naturally him and Susan Storm cuddle up. Naturally. They've, <laughs> they've known each other for so long. He basically raised her. And it's weird. And Johnny has to watch it get weird. <laughs> it's even worse for him, I bet. <laughs> it might be. He's like traumatized because now he's a fire boy. And then he has to watch his sister with this daddy man. I don't get, know what's happening. hit on by an old guy with gray hair. <laughs> this movie, man. <laughs> that he's known for at least 10 years. Right. <laughs> since he was a very young child. Don't think too hard about it. Don't. Just carry on. <laughs> so the metal man who we don't know, we don't know who he is, but he's metal. He's pretty bummed that they survived, and he instructs his henchmen to go find them. How does he know they survived? I don't know. They're tracking them somehow. <laughs> okay. 
his minions come up to him and they're like, hey, I uh, got bad news. Richards and company survived. And he's like, no, because acting. He acts hard. The hardest acting that's ever acted. He's not the only one who gets the news that quick that something went wrong with their expedition because Alicia is already receiving a package of busts from the space crew so she can make a memorial statue for them just the night they exploded. Like, oh, we got the statue heads to you so you can you can start on that memorial because these guys, well, they're heroes. They deserve it, even though I don't think anybody knows what they were in space doing. I have no idea. It's not known what they were trying to accomplish by going to space except capture the energy of Colossus, whatever that is. But then they also have these statue busts of their heads are like yeah they used it for the space suits like no they fucking didn't they wouldn't need face accurate busts to fit a helmet no that's not how that works but then alicia like feels all the face and of course she gets to the last one she goes wait i know this this face that is it was carved out of granite on a human body and now it's literally carved out of granite now it's over here just just being a, another granite face just like the one behind me that i was just making from memory <laughs> So now she's got two stone Ben faces. Oh, if that doesn't give you nightmares, I don't know what will. Yeah, and she's pretty bummed because she she loved him after touching his face one time. That's right. (laughs) This feels a lot like if Jeff Bezos went up into space in the 90s and it blew up and they were like, we need to immediately make a memorial statue of him. I don't know what he was doing up there but we need to make a statue. Like he was just ready to go with that statue. One of those like, in case I die, here's a statue of me to make a bigger statue. Do you think Reed, being the smarty pants he was, is like, if this doesn't go well, at least we'll get a statue out of it. <laughs> a memorial for science reasons, because we did the science. It's a good thing I took these face accurate busts to fit our helmets. <laughs> it is insane. So Alicia's pretty bummed about Ben. And the jeweler takes this opportunity to send his mole people to kidnap her. His jewel people. Right, his jewel people, not his mole people, because he's the jeweler, not the mole man. Correct. A rescue team arrives to save Reed, Ben, and the sibling Storm, but they are immediately terrified at the sight of Ben, who has, at some point in the last couple hours, become a giant orange rock monster. And the crazy part about this is I don't even think we've seen the newspaper yet, or maybe we have. I don't know. Editing doesn't seem to care all that much. There's a newspaper that spins in the frame. It's like, oh, Reed Richards and company presumed dead. But then you have the army men show up and they're like, you guys good? Okay. Oh, Rockman! I like that it's just as surprising to Reed and Susan and Johnny. Like, he just turned. But then Reed's reaction is like, no, no, he's with us. Like, right away <laughs> defending it. <laughs> this orange man that came from nowhere and I've never seen before is definitely with us. But I like how understand the army guys are like, oh, all right, everyone in the Jeep, time to go. Okay, cool. <laughs> I guess we'll take the orange guy with us. Their rescuers turn out to actually be working for the mysterious guy that, okay, it's Dr. Doom. They're not hiding it. We see They're his not face hiding it at all. and his cape and his claw. He does a claw thing constantly with his hand, like he's fucking Jim Carrey and liar, liar. It's always just moving the hand in a very claw-like fashion. Oh, you're scared of the claw, aren't you? (laughs) The claw! Waiting for Carrie Elwes to come out and be like, I'm a better daddy than you, Reed. (laughs) Well, you're afraid of the claw. But I do love this doctor man who's doing these experiments to trying to get to the bottom of the Fantastic Four and their powers. Yes. It's a very good scene. It's a lot of fun. It's like, hey, well, it's, what do you do? Oh, I'm afraid of that. And then he goes to the next guy. He's like, what do you do? He's like, ah, oh, that's even worse. His big problem with Ben is not that he's covered in rocks. It's that he crushed a chair when he sat on it. He got so upset that he broke the flimsiest stool in this room. Dr. Doom wants to drain the Fantastic Four of their powers so he can have them. That's like his whole shtick. It's a good shtick to have if you have to have a shtick in a yeah. movie that's shtickless. It's, it's a very shtickless movie. He sends his goons to meet with the jeweler because now he needs that diamond all of a sudden. For, again, reasons. Reasons. And he's going to presumably use it to steal the powers of, of these four. And then the jeweler's <laughs> like, I'm not going to sell it to you. It's for my queen because he kidnapped Alicia. And then Doom is like, all right, I'm going to take things into my own hands. And that's, uh, that's about the time the heroes decide that they're going to escape their protective custody, and they discover that their captor is Dr. Doom. It's, it's not the military at all. And I love how they escape in the most obvious way possible of the old, the <laughs> classic, 
guards, can you come in here, please? Then they knock him out and they change into the guards. Right. But there's not a guard uniform big enough for Ben, so he just hangs out and plays poker with their <laughs> unconscious bodies. Can we talk about the Thing costume for a second? We need to talk about the Thing costume. I can't decide if it's terrible or incredible. I completely agree. And I absolutely mean that. I'm not being facetious here. No, I, I agree. I think this is either incredibly good or just absolutely awful. This movie had the wherewithal to know we need to do two different masks for this character. One's just going to be a rubber mask that you're going to see at a distance where it doesn't need to do anything. And then the other one's going to have sort of animatronics built into it. But whenever it actually talks, it looks really good. It does. It puts the turtle costumes to shame. It really does. The turtle costumes are a lot like a South Park Canadian. Yes. Whereas this, like, it emotes in a lot of different ways. This does not have beady eyes and a flappy jaw. Not at all. It's not putting pudding all over things. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's kind of the benchmark for the early 90s as far as this kind of costume goes is probably the Ninja Turtles. And I think this far surpasses those costumes. It does. And not kidding. I, I cannot state that enough for this goofy ass movie. Not kidding. That is not a joke. It is actually very well done. And I love how they get the voice for the thing. Like they absolutely nail it. I'm kind of partial to the fact that the thing is played by a different actor than Ben Grimm. It's Carl Charfalio, something like that. Very famous. Also, he's, Way shorter than Michael <laughs> Bailey Smith. Like, way shorter. Michael Bailey Smith is an actual shithouse of a human being. He is enormous. Huge. And he's like six foot five, built out of fucking marble. Like, he's a, uh, yeah. a, a Greek god of a man. There's a scene early in the movie where he gives Reed a hug after uh, Victor, quote unquote, dies. And he's like an entire head taller than Alex Hyde White. He's huge. He's massive. But now that he's the thing, he's about the same height. He's like a cool 5'9". <laughs> They're all like similar heights now. And also he got pretty bummed out that he, when he found out another guy was going to be in the suit, he's like, what the fuck? He's like, oh, come on, this is my big break, guys. I want to be rock boy. Well, we didn't make the suit big enough for you. No, they did not. <laughs> Doom comes in and he, he confronts the four of them, and he's like, hey, where are you guys going? You got to stick around because I'm trying to steal your powers. This is the classic scene where the villain explains his plan to his captors, and then he's like, all right, well, now that you know what I, my plan is, I'm going to leave and let my minions fight you. Now it's clobbering time. As they say in Drink Every Time He Says It's Clobbering Time, you're going to die if you do that. <laughs> Between that and Flame On, yeah, you're done. But I like how they start using their powers. And they knock out all of the minions. And then Johnny Storm punches a hole in the wall with his fire power. He's using his fire power to superheat the wall. And then Ben gets tired of waiting and he just charges through it. Right. He Kool-Aid man's out of there. Oh, yeah. And then my favorite part of the movie happens because after they escape, Dr. Doom comes into the room and you would think <laughs> that... <laughs> There would be, like, anger in his voice of, like, oh, you let them get away, acting. Ah, but no. his exact line is, oh. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's it. Oh. Oh. And he even says that with his hands. <laughs> he does. Acting. Oh, goodness, man. It's, like, put a little bit of flair on it. Like, Andrew Dice Clay, it. make it entertaining yeah. for me. Oh, yeah. Do something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm okay with just, oh. Are you? <laughs> I mean, I was smiling ear to ear almost the entire time watching this. Same. Because Same. there is so much charm behind it. Yes. There's a lot of heart that went into this and it's. They care. Big time. And now knowing that they cared, it makes me care even more. You're like you're yeah. rooting for them. Yeah. Not the, not the characters, the actual actors. The actors. You're, you're rooting for them. Boy, oh boy, are they making some choices. Yeah. And they're not even making choices because acting is a series of choices. But the worst thing that can happen is being caught acting. Right. I don't know what it is when you're constantly being like, that's acting, that's acting, that's acting, that's acting, <laughs> hey, that's acting. Look at these I, guys. I don't know what that acting is. Acting this whole time. I feel like that, oh, is the first time that Joseph Culp isn't acting. 
you know what? That might actually be true. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he cared. And the other actors knew that he cared because he would, like, lock himself in his trailer to go over the lines. And he's like, I did it to get into character. (laughs) I feel like he had a whole line that he was supposed to deliver. And when he walked into the scene and realized all the other people were gone, it was like a legitimate, oh, (laughs) they already left. It's like one of those times where they bring an actor on the set to see like the unveiling of whatever the the scene is, the set is that was designed and blows them away and you capture that first look. But here it's just like, did you guys break for lunch and not tell me? Oh. Oh. Oh, wow. No, 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 no. Don't you invoke Owen. Don't you do it. It's hard to bring up any actors who are like successful while talking about this movie. That's fair. Because it feels disrespectful. It does feel very disrespectful. But we also should say that when they were making this movie, they did not rehearse scenes like you normally would. Right. They just did basic blocking of stand here, stand here, stand here. Like, come in, know your lines, or don't. I don't care. Just stand here, stand here, stand here. And they shot this thing on a garbage fucking airy, like, Aeroflex, which is just the shittiest film that you can do at the time. I mean, this all sounds like arguments for this was never supposed to come out. It does. But also, I'm still not completely sold. Agreed. And I don't know if I'm ever going to be sold, but not sold. But again, we'll get there. Carry on (laughs) with the masterpiece. After some experimentation back at the Baxter building, Reed theorizes that their powers are based on their character defects, which are actually strengths. Pretty much said, your character's shy. Okay, you feel invisible. Now you're invisible. You have a temper. Fiery? Cool. Lewis Black will play you in a movie probably somewhere in the future inside out. (laughs) Me? I stretch myself too thin. Get it? Stretchy. And Ben here, well, he's always using his brute strength instead of his, his intellect, which is actually very good, we should mention. It's he's, very, he's a very smart very boy. But he always, always first to, to the fisticuffs. So those, those are their defects. There, we built character. <laughs> We've done it. Ben decides he's going to leave and scare some civilians in the streets. As you do. I feel like if a creepy guy walked up to you, or any guy, if there were just two ladies on the street and the guy walked up to you and reached his hand out, you're going to scream and run away regardless of whether or not he is a giant orange rock monster. I agree. And yet he seems... Very upset that they ran away <laughs> like he was expecting a different outcome. I don't know what he was expecting, and that's on me. Yeah, as you know what? I just don't understand the character, I guess. <laughs> that must be it. He ends up getting recruited into the mul- the jewel people. Good catch. That was a close one. Uh, because they also identify as social outcasts, and they're like, they're like, you're the socialist outcast of all of them. Come with us. So, you you so, came to our, do- yeah. our, our literal trash can fire. Of homeless people, or mole people, our... or jewel people. I don't know what we are, but thank you for coming. Yeah, w- welcome, and we got to show you our underground lair. I hope you don't recognize anyone down there. <laughs> it would be a shame if you did. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, back at the Baxter building, they're so concerned that Ben has left and just taken to the streets that Sue takes the time to make costumes for the group. And these costumes, man. Oh, boy. Yeah, um... Google it. I, I can't even put in words to describe yeah, there's, it. Yeah, there's no way to de- describe these and, and give them their proper due for just how they look. <laughs> They're not good, and I think we need to leave it at that. I think, yes. Otherwise, we're going to start feeling like we're being mean. <laughs> yeah, people tried on this movie. They tried really hard. <laughs> also, Reed is doing some, some mild handwriting analysis, and he realizes that Dr. Doom is indeed... Victor. That's right. He's still alive. Oh, man. What a a twist that you never saw coming, guys. You never saw it. I was fooled. This Doom fella is Victor, who we never (laughs) mentioned his last name earlier, but if it's the same as the comics, it's also Von Doom. But I don't even think it's Von Doom in this. They never say. I don't think they do because of Johnny Storm's reaction later to when he tells him his name. Right. (laughs) So we'll get there. Doom arrives to make his deal with the jeweler, and the jeweler holds Alicia at gunpoint uh, for reasons. I I don't know. I don't know the reasons either. And Doctor Doom even says he's like, "Yeah, go ahead. I don't know who this person is. I have no clue who this person is." And then Ben walks in the room, and he's like, "Oh, I recognize you." And she's like, "I recognize you," even though she can't see him. And he's like, "I recognize both of you," and everybody's recognizing everybody. 
So the jeweler pieces out, and then Doom holds the gun against Alicia's head. Because that's Doom's uh, power, is he holds a gun with his metal hand. That's right. D- Doom is like, oh, I can hostage this one up like she was being hostaged against me because this guy actually does care about her. And she cares about him, too. Let's not forget that. That's, that's right. She, she says, I love you. And it touches him so much that he turns back into a human. He does, and that's really bad timing. Yeah, it's the worst timing because Dr. Doom is there with a gun, and so he goes, Minions, shoot Shoot that guy! (laughs) Shoot the not-rock man! The proper man! Go ahead! This is ideal! I don't know why Doom doesn't do anything himself. He's always just like, you guys, take care of this. He's got a flex, man. So Doom's henchmen shoot at Ben, and he runs outside, and so Doom gets the diamond, and he keeps Alicia as a hostage, just winning on all fronts. Things are coming up Millhouse for Dr. Doom right now. They really are. And outside, Ben immediately turns back into the thing because he's like, I couldn't save Brad. Turns into the thing again. I, I don't know. I don't want to know. Uh, this movie's perfect in so, so many, many ways. questions. Oh, that, that, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Questions about why it's so perfect. Right. <laughs> Dr. Doom calls up the Fantastic Four and he has to explain what a, a video conferencing screen is because it's the 90s even though I'm pretty sure they've been using it in movies for a long time, but he's like, it's something I've been trying out. Hopefully the reception's okay because, you know, I have a message to give you guys. Brian's not kidding when he says that. <laughs> that is actually in this movie. He goes, oh, you could see me just fine? We're good? Okay, we're good. Oh, acting! <laughs> Threats! Hopefully for you, I'm coming in clear. Do this or else I'm going to destroy New York City with a laser apparently now. Yeah, he's like, I got a laser aimed at New York City, and if you guys don't turn yourselves over to me and give me your power, so I'm going to blow up the whole city. <laughs> so then Ben shows up. He rejoins his friends. He's like, all right, I'm tired of being out there on my own. It's weird <laughs> out there. There's mole people and, and guys with metal faces and guns, and I'd just rather be with my friends. And they all head out to Latveria to take on Doom. Also, Sue and Reed are in love. <laughs> they are, and they stare at each other, and music plays, and that's how we know. Yeah, because... Reed's like, I got to go take care of this myself. And Ben's like, I got something over there, too, that I care about. And Sue was like, me, too. I love you, Reed. And then Johnny's like, and my axe. <laughs> <You> might as well. <laughs> <laughs> got to watch out for my sis, because there's a creepy old guy hitting on her. That's the right move. Yeah, he doesn't say that part, but he probably should. At least have like a talking head into the camera. I feel like that's the only thing this movie's really right. Missing. Just Jim Halpert, it just turn <laughs> and that shrug point. like, what's up with these two? <laughs> the Fantastic Four do not get too far into Doom's lair before they walk right into a trap. They're caught in some sort of laser containment tractor beam. They literally get steps into this and they get captured in four separate laser container beams. Then Doctor Doom pops out and he goes, "Oh man." <laughs> this ruined everything. Half the fun was the hunt. It's like, why'd you build this extremely specific trap then, Dr. Doom? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you guys stepped on the exact four spots that I had these lasers set up, and damn it, it would have been. F- I was going to try to maneuver you into these spots, but you just ended up in you a You just walked in anyway. This. Where's the fun in any of <sighs> this? That sucks. Anyway, this is the diamond. Give me them powers. And then he starts zapping them in the force with, with the diamond lasers. And Sue s- screams like she's, right away. <laughs> she's like, ow, oh, this hurts. And everybody else is like, calm down, Sue. It's Sue, not that bad. chill out. This isn't that bad. <laughs> Victor also blames Reed for turning him into a metal monster, even though it was totally him that didn't want to run the, the simulation before their experiment. So I'm still confused about why he's so mad at Reed. I have no idea. No clue. But Doom starts the power transfer, and Reed manages to stretch his leg outside of the tractor beam and kick over the diamond. <laughs> so now it's it's clobbering time. For real. For real. And the reaction that Reed has on his face while he's doing the stretchy thing is nothing. He's just like, all right, I'm going to save the day, I suppose. I'm going to do it with no emotion. None at all. It's actually a little jarring. And it's kind of sociopathic. Very weird. <laughs> the Fantastic Four fight a bunch of Doom minions while Doom fires his laser at New York City. He's like, well, fine. They're going to get out. I'm going to blow up New York because that's going to get me something. 
Well, I like how Reed is like on the computer. He's like, the laser's going to shoot. I'm still going to tip, 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 tap. Tap, 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 tap. And the countdown keeps going. You're like, okay, he's going to stop it. And he doesn't. He doesn't. And then sure enough, the laser shoots. Laser shoots and Johnny goes full animated human torch and races the laser beam to New York. Hey, hey, hey hold on a second. And, and we'll we'll get back to Johnny. and, and <laughs> We will. We will. But first of all, pump your fucking brakes there, Sassy Brian, about talking about animated Johnny Storm. <laughs> Keep in mind, this movie came out in May of 1994. Would have come out. It would have come out. Correct. Sorry. <laughs> apologies to everyone involved in the film. But Jurassic Park came out in June 1994. So we're still in that pre-Jurassic Park time where it was okay. It was Jurassic Park 94 or 93? Oh, fuck. Um, million dollars, Brian. Million dollars. Get That's off right. its ass, all right, right, Dad? Even the people in the movie were like, yeah, it looked pretty bad. <laughs> It did not look good. <laughs> Reed goes and punches Doom a few times with his stretchy arms. Uh, he says, this one's for trying to kill me. And then this one's for trying to kill my friends. And this one's for being a real jerk. And it's the real jerk punch that makes Doom fall over a ledge. And he calls out for Reed's help. And Reed goes over and he stretches his arm out and tries to help Doom. And he's like, what an idiot. I was literally just trying to kill you. Why are you saving me? And then because Doom got him so badly with that sick burn, <laughs> sick burn. that he dislodged his own glove and then fell to his death. Yeah, he like, <laughs> he like disconnects his arm from his body and then falls. And he's like, I got him. I, I don't know how he won this in his head. I have no clue. No clue. <laughs> he falls to his death or not because Reed and Sue are like, oh, we did it. We got him. Let's leave. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then his little gauntlet that's sitting on the ledge starts moving so. like things but there's already maybe, a thing in this movie maybe but this like adam's alive. family things so many things and it's definitely a copyright infringement i think <laughs> no as long as it's in a metal glove it's fine oh, that's all right perfect <laughs> while all of this is happening ben and alicia take the time to finally meet for real and she thinks he's even hotter now because he's made of rock and she's a sculptor and she's into that maybe i'm pretty sure the direct line is oh ben can i get your rocks off and he's like, no, they're attached to me, babe. It might as well have been, actually. I wish that were in this movie. <laughs> like, it totally would throw this whole thing for a loop and be like, that's awesome. Yeah, actually, that would have been like, <laughs> hey, they know. <laughs> that would be the perfect, like, wink to the camera. Like, you've come this far. We might as well <laughs> give like, you something. Like, no, no, we get it. We get it, but they, they don't. <laughs> Animated Johnny intercepts the laser beam and he uses fire to push it back into the, its source of laserness i guess i don't know it's hard to tell because it's super low res and also very poorly animated yeah i don't know he's he's saying woohoo and yeah a lot so i assume he saves the day it's a good assumption and the next scene says yeah the day is saved i guess yeah because we cut to the wedding of sue storm and reed richards yeah, that happens right away. And Susan Storm gets married in a nice, beautiful wedding gown. But she sure does. As Reed Richards wants to do, he gets married in his weird, fantastic four costume. And because why wouldn't you? I guess his best man is the thing who is just in his, his little speedo of a costume his, that he wears. His little, his little blue undies. Johnny Storm also has his costume on, and it's it's weird. It's, it's very, very weird. weird. It's just Sue in a wedding dress and. Three dudes in their in their blues. But is this the time where they do the kiss and then Johnny gets between them? Yes. And it's very, very much like the room where, <laughs> where Johnny and Lisa kiss and then Denny goes between. He's like, I just like to watch. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it felt uh, like. Yeah, it did. John, Johnny's a little weirdo. Well, that's not even the weirdest thing that happens in this scene. It's not. Because we're about to give everyone fucking nightmares for forever. As the limo pulls away from the wedding ceremony, Reed stretches his arm up way into the air and waves goofily out of the sunroof from the limo as it pulls away. Uh, wow. Now, hold on a second, dear wow. listeners. What I'm thinking that you're imagining is like his hand is just a little bit over, <laughs> like just from like maybe the forearm up. Oh, no, no, oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. My sweet summer children. <laughs> just imagine. In Who Framed Roger Rabbit at the end when Judge Doom gets all flattened out and then he starts kind of warbling around before yeah. he inflates himself again. It's that type of animation, but like 10 feet in the air. 
Yeah, now this limo roof. <laughs> there's like a creepily waving. A wild, wacky, inflatable arm flailing out of the top of this car. It's not even a tube, man. It's just the arm. And that is the most appropriate way. It really is. To end the Fantastic Four from, I guess, 1994? I guess. Dave, I do have one caped IMDb trivia fact. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, this movie only had 14 IMDb trivia facts, so it made it real easy. Here's what I have for you. The original script included a post credit scene where Nick Fury, played by David Hasselhoff, arrived at the Baxter building with Captain America, played by Matt Salinger, David Banner, played by Bill Bixby, The Punisher, played by Dolph Lundgren, and Howard the Duck, to recruit the Fantastic Four into some kind of superhero team-up. The idea was scrapped when they realized this single scene would double the budget of the movie. <laughs> it would have, too. <laughs> But yeah, that is on IMDb, so you know it's true. It's not true. I did that one. Don't spoil, Brian. I've it's never on done IMDb. One. I've never done one. I was very excited. It's a very good one, too. I, oh, I congratulate you. you. But I feel like we should like give a big old high five to Ole fucking Sassoon. I think or so. Sassone. I think it's Warren. I don't know how to say his name. I don't care how to say his I name. I think it's Sassoon, but there were rumors that he was, he was uh, related to Vidal Sassoon, but it turns out not to be true. Still don't care. Still don't want to know. <laughs> he tried he did i feel like a lot of people on this movie gave it their very best effort because they thought it was a real movie because they had very few reasons to not believe it was a real movie until you know all of the hints piled up and they're like this might not be a real movie guys but well, by then they were promoting it they were promoting it, and they had release dates set for this thing and they had theaters possibly lined up yeah. to show it i don't even know if that's true who knows but eventually, Brent Eidinger said, no, we're not going to release this thing. This can't see the light of day. They sent cease and desist to all of the actors to stop promoting the movie. Which, thats I don't even know what is more than a red flag. I don't know at that point. <laughs> like, at that point, you just have to know, like, okay, this thing's not happening. It's not real, possibly. I don't know. But now it is something that kind of just lives in lore in yeah. film history. Yeah, and, and luckily, well... There's a whole story about the real villain of Marvel, Avi Arad, going and buying the movie for $2 million and then burning all the prints. I don't know if that story's even true. Who knows? But no Who one knows? is confirming nor denying anything. This is such a weird movie. Not even just the sense of how it's made and what's in the movie that we actually saw, but the backstory behind it is just so fascinating. I recommend watching the movie and also the documentary. I completely agree. And Brian, I also want to tell you this. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I loved it. I fucking loved it. <laughs> I think it is the best adaptation of the Fantastic Four in feature film. I 100% agree. <laughs> I don't know what that says about these multi-million dollar productions, but there you go. Well, we're not the only ones who think that. Ooh. Rotten Tomatoes, 1 to 100. What are you thinking? Does it have critical reviews? 11 of them. Not one of them is from a top critic, though. Okay. I'm going to go with a 65. 27. That was okay. foolish of you to say, That was very silly. And the audience score is 30% on this. Roger Ebert probably didn't even know this existed. Probably So not. he didn't see this thing. But our good friends on Letterboxd saw this thing, and a lot of people <laughs> did. And a lot of people like this movie. Good. But a lot of people also took the easy route of shitting all over it for obvious well, of reasons. Because that's just the easy thing to do. It is. It's very easy with this one. But from January 26, 2021, arguably not the worst Marvel movie. <laughs> that one's surprising. I'm curious what they would rank as last. I don't know, but I like how they left it open. They didn't bother putting in their opinion. They just said, that's a thinker. <laughs> Choose your own worst. Exactly. Arl Stein, choose your own ending. From January 26, 2019, no post-credit sequence to clearly connect it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> and no Stan Lee cameo. That's some subversive shit. <laughs> that's, that's very good. <laughs> it is very good. From April 7th, 2020, I watched this last night, and somehow, it's the worst thing to happen in the year 2020. <laughs> oh no <laughs> granted he wrote this thing in april 2020 it's like 
buddy, you don't even oh. know yet. <laughs> oh, the year, the year had a lot of time to get worse. It had uh, most of the year to get worse. Spoilers, it did. <laughs> and the last one I have is from April 15th, 2022. The only fantastic movie thus far that's captured the gee whiz vibe of the old school comics. Yeah, I agree with that one. I completely agree with that one. And on that note, how about we give this thing a super stuff score? Let's do it. Start off with story and motivation. Zero, because I have no idea what it is. That is, uh, you know, they're, they're doing an experiment in space, and, and Doom doesn't want them to. No, it's zero. I have no idea what's happening here. I don't know anybody's motivation, except maybe that Reed wants to sleep with a little girl. Well, when you put it that way. <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of like a greatest hits from a cover band of a cover band. Okay, yeah. Where they made sure that they covered their bases of Fantastic Four. They go to space. They get powers. Dr. Doom, he's bad. He does the bad thing. Jeweler, what's that? It's certainly not a mole man. Don't think for a second that it's a mole man. <laughs> they saved the day in the third act. Bam. So I, I don't know. It, it's a zero for me. It's, I agree. It's a zero. I have, there's no real story here. It's like, we got to get the diamond. Oh, we got the diamond. Oh, they got the diamond. I don't know. Zero. Let's talk about heroes. They save the day. They save the day. And they do it using their powers as much as special effects allow in this budget. Which... In a million dollar budget, they actually, they lean in more than I expected them to, to the powers. I'm going to go 0.25. Yeah, I think that's um, that's probably appropriate. It's not probably... a little generous, but screw you. <laughs> it's a charming yeah, ass movie. I like it. All right. 0.25. Villains. Nope. 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 Doom. Nope. Nope. We've got nope, the nope, jeweler. Nope. They, boy, are they nefarious, even though we don't know why they're doing the things they're doing. We know that they're nefarious because- uh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh. And they have henchmen that are dressed the same as them. <laughs> right. That's the key to knowing that they're the They're baddies. not doom bots. They're doom boys. They are doom boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go zero. Yeah, I think uh, zero. Because doom's just like, I want your powers. Uh, I'm mad at you. For, I guess I'll get them. For messing up the thing that I messed up 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm still mad at you for letting me do that. Have you seen my claw yet? <laughs> it's a scary claw. It is a scary claw. Zero. Zero for villains. Let's talk about teamwork. Uh, it makes the dream work in other movies. In other movies. In this one, it's, uh, it's a guy, his buddy who quits for a while, and the two kids they basically raised. Not great. So, again, I'm going to go zero. And Yeah, because even at the end, it's not like... Them coming together and using their powers would say no. They, it's just individual. Yeah, yeah. It's a that's, zero. That's for not great work. when you have to like do the Fantastic Four. You are Marvel's first family, their first super team, right? And then you just go your own separate and ways like, to All right. do things individually to quickly solve the problem. I guess split up, and I don't even know what Sue Storm does during that final fight. She, she puts up a force field at one point, and the guys fall down. I remember her turning invisible, and then the two people who were approaching her running together. There was one point where they actually run into each other, which makes me think these people don't know what invisible means. No, they have no clue. Doesn't mean she disappears and she's still there. Yeah. That shouldn't have happened. You're right. This should not have. So yeah, we're going to go with a zero for teamwork. (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Hey, why don't we talk about female characters? How about we just go minus one and move on? Yeah, I think uh, that's- uh, That's the safe move. Not even discuss it. Just minus one and continue. It's a real rapey movie, and they turn a hero into a damsel sometimes, and that's a problem. And That is a problem. Sorry for discussing it more than we said we would already. <laughs> Moving on to minus one. Minus one. Setting. It's a uh, recycled carnivore set or whatever it was. The knockoff <laughs> Jurassic Park movie. from the year before. <laughs> I actually really like it because I don't care it's a recycled set. The set no. designer said that they literally put Dixie cups on the wall and painted them black, and they said- yeah, who gives a damn? Unless you zoom in, you're not going to be able to tell. It just looks right. futuristic and fine. This thing's just going to get bootlegged and be super low res and nobody will ever know. And no one ever did know until 2014 when the documentary came out. The sets look fine for being they, a million yeah. dollar movie. They're serviceable. I know that we're at Doom's Castle and I know when we're at the Baxter Building and I know when we're in space, kind of. Point five. Point Why not? Five. You know what? Credit where credit's due. Let's talk about style and tone. Keep in mind, one million dollar movie. Right. 
million dollars. We already said we like the setting and that they pulled off a couple things fine. Sure. It's a charming movie. It is charming. It has heart. It does have a lot of heart. You could tell these guys care making yeah. this movie. Uh, does that play out in the story? No. Not so much. And I or the acting, like really. Need to kind of... Uh, 0.25! 0.25! Pull the cord quick. <laughs> quick, abandon ship. Uh-huh. 0.25. Before we go too far and talk myself out of it. <laughs> that brings us to the musical stylings of David and Eric Worst. They are doing their worst impression of John Williams multiple they, times. They are. They're trying. You can tell they are trying hard. They are, and some of it works. Some of it actually works very well. The theme for this is great. The theme is very good. All of it is very heavy-handed. It is very heavy-handed, and you have kind of like that sneaking around clarinet as the killer <laughs> walks around. Like, yes. When I say that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> It's a very Pink Panther of them. It really is. But the, I love the theme of this. And it's a good thing that I love it because it plays on repeat throughout this entire the whole movie. movie. I don't know if like a light motif is not a light motif because it's light in the way they use it. Right. Uh, this is a heavy, 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 <laughs> heavy, heavy theme. It's a, it's a Favreau motif. It is. It's the heaviest of hands that conducted this orchestra and wrote these beautiful notes on the that, page. That said, some of it really works well. 0. 0.75. Ooh. I like it. generous. I was surprised how much I liked it. I kind of want to bring you down to a 0. 0.5. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Because I, I also liked it, but I don't think... Was... But you're a sane human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 0.5 for music, which brings us to one-liners. The classics. Flame on, it's clobbering time. Flame on, it's clobbering time, and this one's for trying to kill me. <laughs> Let's go 0.25 to acknowledge they're there. <laughs> that one made me really laugh when he said, this one's for trying to kill me. You know what? 0.5 if you really want. <laughs> I was very okay with a 0.25, but I'm going to take the 0.5. I'll give it to you. <laughs> all right. I appreciate it. It made me laugh, and sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Another great line. <laughs> 0.5 for one-liners. And that brings us to our final category of impact on the genre. One. Easy one. One of the easier ones we've ever given out. I'm curious your reasoning. This movie is very, very famous now among comic yes. book movies. That's for true. For not being released and for the shenanigans that were pulled in the making of it. And it kind of just lives on in its own lore now. Yeah, and it also kind of set a precedent for always having to know what the hell is going on with the rights to Marvel properties. I completely agree. This is actually, weirdly, one of the easiest ones I feel yeah. like we're ever going to give. Yeah, and that is going to give a total score of two for the Fantastic Four. I weirdly think that's fine. I think two is exactly where it needs to be. I like this movie. I do too. I'm probably going to watch it again at some point. I certainly will. And if I ever see a bootleg version of it somewhere, I'm going to purchase it. Just in hopes that the quality is slightly better. Just slightly better. I want to know what they wrote down on whatever science papers they had. Brian, why don't you let everybody know what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, we're doing an animated movie, but with some familiar faces. We're going to be talking about Batman Return of the Caped Crusaders, which of course features Adam West, Burt Ward, and Julie Newmar. I cannot wait for this one. Came out in 2016, and it brought back all the classics, so. It did, and it's been a long time since we talked about a Batman. And it, re it really has. So We've this is very exciting. Kind of covered a lot of Batman early on, and before we realized that, that was a mistake. And it was. Great month, but I'm so happy we get to go back to a Batman now. <laughs> Next week, Batman The Return of the Cape Crusaders. Until then, thank you for listening. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe. Join us on Patreon this month for the Harrison Ford classic witness that we've been talking about since, I don't know, the first three episodes of this podcast. And <laughs> we're finally talking about it. I'm very excited about that. It's about time. It's beyond time to talk about these Amish folk and their Harrison Ford. That's right. Email your questions and comments to kpodcasters at gmail.com if you have any. And uh, follow us on all the social media, at Kate Podcasters, especially Facebook, where we always put up a post on the day we record asking for your questions and comments. And we got one! 
Greg Feigenbaum wants to know, so Reed Richards can stretch all appendages? With that being said, would Fantastic Four be the greatest porn movie ever made? So many possibilities. Greg, you know the answer to that. It's a resounding of course. Duh! The Fantastic Foursome. In their mission to get Ben's rocks off. It writes itself, man. It's, I mean, it it's so easy. It writes itself. Is it hot in here or is it just the human torch? Oh, jeez. The weirdest part is that they just decided not to cast anybody for the Invisible Woman. It's just a, it's just nothingness. <laughs> it's just, I don't know who porn actors are anymore, but someone's just air humping <laughs> the whole time. It's just a bunch of dudes air humping and they're like, it's the Fantastic Four. Enjoy. <laughs> or it's just somebody Doing someone in a green suit, but they like edit it out and you just don't know. And you're just confused at why a CGI wiener is just erect going into nothing the whole time. You're like, this is actually kind of impressive. Yeah. And the whole time Alicia Masters in the background going, I can't find you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Greg, I guess thank you for your question. Yeah, sure. That was a fun little trip. Brian, you got anything else? Nothing from me. Fantastic. See? I, it made sense this time. No. We're going to see everybody next week for Batman, The Return of the Cape Crusaders. Same pod time? Same pod? Oh.